Hey, frazzled women, welcome to another episode of Le Vital Core Salon. This is where all the frazzled type A's, imposters, and activity addicts come to play. And I am your host and salionaire, Kara Martin-Snyder. And just a reminder, in case that explicit label on the podcast wasn't a reminder enough, Please make sure if you're playing this on speakers that you have people around you that are okay with hearing four-letter words of a certain variety. And if not, just grab some earbuds and spare them the anguish and agony of hearing a cuss word. As many of you listeners know, and for anyone new, each episode I welcome a woman doing really cool things out in the world. But more importantly, they are not being slowed down by bullshit or burnout. And I ask them questions about what they're doing, or how they've come back from burnout, or how they slough off bullshit on the regular. But this is our chance to learn and be inspired by how real women are getting shit done out in the world. That is the, the goal of the conversation. And sometimes we take all sorts of twists and turns, but... Really, this is hopefully to educate and inspire and give you some ideas of changes you can integrate, and hopefully you have fun along the way. And as always, I am here to ask a ton of questions, and today's guest rose to the challenge, and she is Kirsty Grossart. And so some of you that are on Instagram and are followers of fitness may know her as Garage Gym Girl. You can check her out online, and I highly encourage you do, and I think I do a couple of times as we're talking, because I think what she's doing is so cool. So we are going to talk about body weight training and what her training looks like, but more importantly, Kirstie's actually a programmer and trained in actuarial sciences and astrophysics. So... She's juggling two very different spheres of her life, and so we we sort of touch on that and touch on things like resilience. She was a competitive gymnast growing up who got sidelined around age 19. So we're going to hear what sort of happened and how she came back from something that really was pulling her off her game, her plans in life. And I know this crowd has a lot of planners in the midst. And I'm one of them, for certain. And so I think Kirsty's story is incredibly interesting, and there's a lot that we can learn. And our interview touches on that kind of resilience and also mindset and perspective, whether it's in the gym or outside of the gym. And she gives some great stories and examples of what that looked like for her or what she's witnessed along the way. So I really want to encourage you to check out this interview, check out the work she's doing, If functional fitness is anything that you're really into, I'm going to put all of the links for the things, like I do for all of our shows, into the show notes. And speaking of those show notes, please know that I put links to all the ways to connect with guests, but also some salient quotes that stuck out and some highlights so you can get a gist of what the episode is about. And most importantly, I put links to all of the nouns in the episode, or as many as I catch, which, you know, sometimes I miss a couple things here and there. But it's usually the people, places, things, resources, apps, albums, artwork, 
I try to collect all of that in one place so you don't have to search or be taking notes. Because I know I like to enjoy my podcasts on the fly, and sometimes I don't want to be taking notes as I'm enjoying somebody else's podcast. So if there is something that you hear in any episode, head over to the show notes at levitalcoresalon.com. And an even better way is to sign up for the twice-monthly newsletter because you will get a link to each episode that will take you right to the blog post that has all of the show notes that I was just talking about all in one place. And it's a nice reminder. So say you really dug the most recent episode, which I hope you deeply do, and you wanted to remember what that book was that the guest mentioned. And sometimes you just forget. And so if you're getting the newsletter, you're going to get that sent to you. And it's going to be a nice, big, fat reminder for you to look it up and take it out of the library or order it on Amazon or whatever you got to do to get that book, resource, link, whatever you need. Anyways, I'm babbling on. And really, I should rethink that because it is hot as a sauna in the new Vital Core quote-unquote podcast studio so the only room in our new house that is windowless other than recording from our closets is what was once a sewing room and it's kind of cool because there's counter space everywhere and these little cabinets for notions where the microphone and cords and everything now live also a built-in ironing board you know so I could maybe get some housework done while I'm doing this Who knows? Maybe I'll be able to multitask like that at some point in my podcasting career. But I also have noticed that it is starting to rain and I can hear it a little and I can also hear some rumbles of thunder. So instead of having you listen to me quiver a little bit in a massively brewing thunderstorm right now, I'm just going to cut over to our interview. So voila, here's the interview with Kirsty. Hey, Christy, welcome to the Vital Course Salon. I'm so psyched to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for, for inviting me on. Cool. And Christy, you initially came onto my radar through gold medal bodies or GMB. And I, I started by taking one of the intro courses. You're also known as Garage Gym Girl, and you're a, a strength and body weight training expert with a it seems like an undying love of handstands. Can you tell me and the audience a little bit more about your work? Yeah, I mean, handstands has as something I've always, always been drawn to. And to me, there's just something so empowering about, you know, being able to control my own body, being able to push myself up and lift myself up and balance on anything. And, you know, that that's what I, I really love handstands and I grew up as a gymnast so I was training you know 20 30 hours a week uh, until I was about 19 and I loved I love training I love gymnastics I love the feeling I got from doing that and then when I came became injured so I got injured at 19 and I started coaching competitive gymnastics I really took to that and I think part of the reason was I was never the gymnast who would just be able to see a movement and then go and do it um, or get the moves immediately. Things wouldn't just click straight away. I'd always have to break things down 
to very simple components and figure out what it was missing and and build the movements up in in a very progressive way. And I think that really helped me when I moved into coaching because then you can break it down for the people that you're you're teaching. So I taught competitive gymnastics all throughout while I was attending university and then, you know, did the normal thing of getting a full-time job and moving away from, you know, Edinburgh, which was where I grew up. And I stopped coaching for, for a long time. And then it was about six years ago that I, that I kind of got back into that. And first of all, I started with kids. I, I went to the local gymnastics center and started coaching recreational gymnastics. And it's a totally different thing than competitive gymnastics. You know, competitive, yes. <laughs> competitive gymnasts, they, they pick things up so quickly. And so much of the coaching is really just the psychology of, you know, making them enjoy their training so that they want to train harder, wanting to get the movements, you know, working a certain way and then dealing with parents. Rec kids, it's, you know, it's a lot more, for them, it's, it's fun. You know, it's a lot more just about, oh, I want to do this cool thing and not about competing. Um, and so I really loved teaching them and especially that these were like teenage teenage girls. And I loved kind of showing them that, you know, strength movements and things like pull-ups and rope climbs, you know, being stronger was made these movements that they wanted to do so much easier. You know, if they could do pull-ups, if they worked hard on their pull-ups, all the tricks that they wanted to do on the bars were going to be a lot easier. And that was, that was super fun. From there, a friend of mine owned a CrossFit gym and she talked me into teaching an adult class. And when I first started coaching that, even from like the records, it was a whole, a whole other kind of level of fun and uh, challenges. Because with adults, there comes, you know, more mobility restrictions and just more apprehension and fear. And the mindset, you know, with kids and even teenagers, there's this mindset they can do anything. Whereas with adults, it's like, oh, I can't do that. That's not for me. And so that became my new challenge. And I just got really addicted to teaching, you know, people what they're capable of. Um, and yeah, I've never really looked back. Wow, Kirsty, And it's especially interesting to me on a really personal level, like what you're talking about, you know, between competitive gymnastics and recreational gymnastics, because I was one of those kids, I think my mom realized really early that I wasn't um, super coordinated. And I also was around adults a lot. So she thought gymnastics was a really great idea. So I think I was a tumble top by age three. <laughs> and then it seemed I, I was, I think I finished around age 11. But it, it was funny because like age 10, 11, I don't know if this is still the case, but in the early 80s, this was the case. It was like, I think when the recreational kids were starting to be parsed out from the competitive kids, and it was getting like more and more and more intense. And I just remember, I, I can't even really remember like the, the specifics, but like between 10 and 11, it was kind of like, get in or get out. And I was you know, it it especially resonated when you were talking about, I didn't just get the moves right away. Like, I didn't just pick up things as quick as everyone else. And as soon as you said that, I was like, yes, that was what age 10 and 11 for me <laughs> in gymnastics was like, just constantly feeling a little bit like the special ed kid in the class. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's very true that at around, around that age, it is, it's like, 
take it seriously or go down to, you know, one hour a week. Um, there's no kind of in between where it's like, well, I really enjoy this and want to do it for fun, but I'm not going to go to the Olympics. And I think that's a big, a real shame because there should be that level that's not where you're still learning and you're still progressing and you're able to do it, you know, a few hours a week, but you actually, you want to get better, but you don't want to devote your life to it. And I, as you saying that, you know, you didn't get things straight away. There is actually, I find some real benefits from, you know, from taking longer to get movements. And I find this still with my students, those who have to think a little harder to, to get a movement or work a little harder and figure things out that once they have a movement and once I had movements in gymnastics, like you have it, like you're not losing that movement. You, you know, you're, you have that for life. Um, and it really sticks with you because you did thousands of more reps to get there. <laughs> yeah. In those eight years. Yes, probably. <laughs> I can only imagine how many reps of things you did between how old were you? Like you were a kid until like 19, right? Yeah. So I started when I was six and then until I was 19. Wow. So do you even remember what it was like starting at age six? Yeah, it's interesting. I have a lot of um, memories of the first time I walked into the gym because I remember walking in and seeing the woman who later became my gymnastics coach and being like, wow, that, that woman is amazing. And, and just having this idea of her, it's just like grown up. And, and I was talking to my mom about it. Mom's like, she was like 15. (laughs) I was like, wow, just to me in my head at age six, she was just like this grown up who could do all these cool things. She was, you know, in splits and doing, you know, back handsprings and backflips. And I was like, that's so cool. I just remember going in and being just immediately being taken by what I saw and what I saw people doing. And I was always climbing on things and trying to do cartwheels and handstands. And, and yeah, it was just, it was kind of love at first sight. So your mom probably recognized like my kid keeps crawling up the furniture and the walls and trees. Maybe it's time for gymnastics. Yeah, I think she knew pretty early on because there's um, it's really funny when we look at old family photos. um, My mom always had really long hair. And then there's one point when I can't remember how old I was. But at a certain age when I was a baby, my mom's hair suddenly goes short. And she's like, yep, you kept pulling yourself up on my hair. So I cut it off. (laughs) (laughs) So... Yeah, I think she had a pretty good idea that I was needed an outlet for that. And for people listening, I mean, when I started going down the well of preparation for our interview today, I mean, I had been seeing a bunch of your videos through GMB. And I mean, it's mind blowing, right? Like you're upside down, you're a flag flying sideways from like some sort of vertical post. (laughs) It really is astounding to see. And for anyone listening, I encourage you to definitely just check it out to get a visual of what Kirsty's talking about. <laughs> and Kirsty, how did gymnastics shape you? Because it's such an intense sport. Like, what were some of the lessons learned from all of those years? I think for me, one of the biggest things from gymnastics was, was just my time management Um, And it sounds like a really boring lesson to have learned, but I just find that none of my friends really did any like outside of school activities. And yet I was always the one that had my homework done, like never missed a day of homework. And I think it was the fact that I had so little time to do it. You know, I had a 30 minute window of getting home from school before I had to leave for gymnastics. So I would do my homework in that time. And I find that that's something that's been very beneficial for me in terms of like this 
idea is if I want to get something done, I have to just do it now. There's no point leaving it for, for later. Um, I really just need to do it straight away. And that's a, a big thing in terms of, of something that's had an impact on my life, I think. And that's really important because you went to university and you have a day job in a very different field, correct? Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, I went to university. I actually studied astrophysics at university and then decided I didn't want to stay in academics and so ended up working in actuarial science, um, so working for an insurance company. And then I was kind of lucky enough to end up working for a software company, which was really a better fit for me than the insurance company. So working for, it's a software company that creates software for insurance. And so it's really challenging for me. And I really love that kind of problem solving and logic aspect of it. And I think that's also what I love about coaching. But yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a completely different field from handstands. So you're like, the poster child for STEM, <laughs> right? <laughs> this is amazing. Astrophysics to actuarial science to designing software. Amazing. Yeah, I, mean, I, I love it. It's, it's interesting because it seems, it seems so random and, and off, but there's so many things from, from each of those that connects and, and helps with, with other things. So they seem random, but in some ways there's similarities. I totally get that. And there are a lot of people listening who are multi-passionate women who, you know, may have a day job and an evening job and feel kind of this schism. Like, I love this thing that I do outside of work and I do this totally different, seemingly random thing. How did you, this is going to be a, a sort of a strange question. Did you always see the connections between the two of them or did you have to go through some sort of reconciliation process to see like what skills or what attributes of your personality overlap? Does that question make sense? Um, in terms of from astrophysics to actuarial science or from actuarial science to handstands or what? Yeah, yeah. So from like the STEM side of your world like the science STEM sort of your world okay. to handstands. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's not something I've, I've necessarily thought too much about. I can just, when I think about it, I can see the connections. And a lot of the things that I learn from, you know, my education in fitness, I go to like different coaching events and learning about how to be a better coach. And it, it's basically the same as when I go to my management training in my job and how to be a better manager to your people. You know, it's all the same thing. It's like, how do you coach people? Um, and so that side of it is, is very similar. The logic side, it, it, it's not, it's not that I think, Oh, this is, um, this is the same thing. And I can use some of the stuff I learned from my programming and science background in my handstand. I just find I follow the same steps and that's, it's very automatic. So the way that I would look at programming something where I break it down to its components and then, you know, figure out what's the, what's the base, what's the thing that I have to work on first and then build from there is very much the same as, you know, if I'm thinking about how am I going to teach this movement and you think about, okay, what are the foundation parts? What do you need before you can do the next steps and, and building it up? So it's, it's really just the way that my 
brain thinks. I think rather than that I'm really trying to analyze it and use what I can, it's a little more automatic, I think. Got it. Got it. Thank you for weighing in because I, I think that's really useful information for people who especially are trying to like start up a sort of side business or a side hustle outside of work. And I know it was a reconciliation that I had to do because I got my start in trouble debt restructuring and bankruptcy as as an accountant. Right. You know, and then I was like, how did I end up in the world of Pilates for several years? <laughs> and then, you know, from that point, I was like, people were asking me about so much other stuff around time management. And how was I an, a Pilates apprentice while working in finance all day? Like, how do you do this? That it like the coaching naturally kind of evolved from that. But at the end of the day, at one point, I was like, wait a minute, I'm doing the same work. I'm just yeah, right. solving problems. It's just sometimes I'm talking about people's health and happiness. And other times it was turning around a bankrupt company or working with a startup that had no controls or processes. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I feel very similar. Like a lot of what I do is is coaching people, whether it's coaching them to do a handstand or coaching them to, um, you know, build software or learn um, stuff about insurance. So, Got it. Got it. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about the coaching, if you don't mind. For sure. And, you know, you had mentioned earlier on how you've kind of worked with these different groups. Like you had the competitive gymnasts and then you were working with the recreational gymnasts and then you were sort of working with the CrossFit crowd. And then I guess it makes me want to ask, like, who's the demo that you're working with these days as Garage Gym Girl? So so there's a few different groups and it's, it's, it's not something I've really deliberately gone out and said, okay, this is the person that I want to work with. It's kind of all, all evolved my in-person classes, there's a very certain type of person typically that comes in. It's, you know, I have a lot of women who are, you know, 30s to 50s, really successful, confident women. For some reason, they all have ponytails. And <laughs> yeah, they're just these amazing women who decide later in life to start learning a handstand, take up gymnastics. But they're all these highly successful, highly intelligent. I have more like PhDs and MDs and lawyers in my classes than in any group I've ever been in. It's it's really amazing. And then online, it's a slightly different different group. I think there's a there's a lot more people who are already kind of handstand addicts who've been working it for a while. Um, but then as well, people who are just getting started in it. And I think the main kind of common theme between all those people um, online is just that they're they're all kind of not that interested in traditional fitness, you know, and going to the gym and doing the traditional kind of, I don't know, I don't like to make fun of the elliptical because that, you know, some people, some people really enjoy that, but you know, doing that typical workout in the gym. And so I think that's the big thing is it's people that just want to have fun and learn a new movement and stay in shape, but aren't all about just, just the outcome. They want it, they enjoy the process. Got it. You know, I don't. I think you're right. Like every type of fitness has its crowd, right? There are definitely people who like to hop on a treadmill or hop on the elliptical and put on music or a TV show and just right. move and zone out and kind of just be somewhere else. And it sounds like you're working with people who are like really want to be present in their bodies and, and kind of push themselves in a certain way. 
Yeah, and I, I think a lot of them have, have been in that place, you know, have done other things in their life and are, are just at a point where, you know, they like in my classes especially, I have people who have run marathons or competed in CrossFit, and they're at this point where it's more now about enjoying the journey and enjoying learning something new and, and building that body awareness and just generally feeling more confident in their body. So yeah. Amen. You're you're speaking to that demographic here. I mean, I think that's that's why I've sort of been going down the well. You know, just looking, I've been doing Pilates for years. I've been doing yoga on and off since college. I've been a runner, I've been a gymnast. And it was like to just notice like especially now that I'm 40, like how my body's changing as it ages and and just where I have limitations and things like that. And I, I love what you're doing in terms of breaking things down into really, 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 I mean, some of the exercises feel so small and insignificant, like when they're isolated, but then lead to these like bigger, more dynamic movements later. It's so fascinating a process. Yeah. And that, that's what draws me to it. It's uh, how can you make this thing simpler? And even even now, even though, you know, I do do these things on, you know, Instagram, you know, balancing on one hand and stuff, it's still, I still come back to those foundations all the time, like very basic, just, oh, can I move my shoulder blade in this way? And can I push, um, do this particular movement and feel this, this here? And it's all very, like the stuff I post on Instagram, that's stuff that I'm training and I'm playing with. Um, and then from that, you build these these other things. So what does your training look like on an average day? Because you're right. Like we see the Instagram, Kirsty, that's like <laughs> upside down and on one hand. And So, yeah, I, I actually I recently posted a video on YouTube of, of basically a, a typical workout for me. And um, I, I just from the to, to, to kind of introduce this, I typically train my strength work and skill work four times a week. So it's like between an hour and an hour and a half, four times a week, I do strength and skill work. And then the other days it's more mobility training or just playing or whatever I'm, you know, if I play hockey, I'll, I'll do that. But four days a week I, I go in the gym and train hard. Um, and I'll typically start with, with skill work. So whatever skill that I'm training at that time, I'll spend between like 15 and 30 minutes, depending on how the skill's going um, and how tired I am and how much time I have. Um, so I work on, on that skill. And then I'll do some conditioning, which is basically mostly basic movements, so push-ups, pull-ups, bodyweight squats, as well as some kind of rehab, prehab mobility type exercises. So something would be you know, holding a kettlebell overhead and walking around to kind of increase that stability and strength in my shoulder. Okay, stuff that I'm going to need for one-arm handstands, but it's not a complex or advanced movement. And then I'll do something to increase my mobility and something very strength-based. And I just do these little conditioning circuits, all very um, simple movements. And then usually I'll, I'll try and do something which is like a finisher, so get my heart rate up a little bit. This is my least favorite part of the workout. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'll try and do something that's a little more endurance-based, but that's very short, like five minutes max. Um, 
So, yeah, that would be a typical typical workout for me. Where do you fit it in? Because I assume your day job is fairly traditional nine to five hours. Is that a correct assumption? It's, it's pretty nice and flexible. So I can really, I could work, um, I, core hours are typically 10 till four, but as long as you let people know if you're not working in those hours, it's fine. So it's very, I, I, have, I have a really nice job. Um, they're very <laughs> flexible in terms of like, I can work from home. I can work very flexible hours. Um, but my morning, my workout is, I always do it first thing in the morning because I just, I feel good afterwards. And I know that once my brain kind of starts on the work day, I find it very hard to be, to, to know that I have an hour or so to go and work out. Like once my brain's working, I can like, well, I can have 10 minutes to go and do this, but if I take more than that, I'm just not going to, you know, it's, I have too much to do. And so by getting it done in the morning, I have a routine where I, you know, basically get up, I, I have coffee and while I'm drinking coffee, I usually just do some stretching and then I'll go out to the gym and train and come back in. And it's, for me, that's, it's so important just for um, making sure I get that workout in because I know otherwise I'll, um, it's going to be harder for me. Um, and two, just setting me up to have a good day because I feel so great after training. And accomplish too. Like, so not only do you physically feel set up for the day, but it's kind of like, it's not weighing on you. Like, where am I going to put that workout in? Where am I going to do it? Yeah. And then things always come up. So at work, you know, something's going to come up or something comes up in my business and I'm like, well, I really should do this. And so, you know, you put aside your workout because this thing has kind of come up last minute. Whereas, you know, if you get up first thing, don't check your emails. (laughs) (laughs) Just just have your morning and then check your emails. And if something's come up, then, you know, nothing is that urgent. If it was that urgent, you know, you'd have got some other phone call or notification. So, um, yeah, I mean, to me, that's, you know, prioritizing, prioritizing getting to the gym just helps me really get through the day better. Great. Those are good points. And I like your reminder about don't check your email. Like, the, <laughs> like, there is a, a certain sort of bliss in not knowing like what fire drill is happening at the office the moment you wake up, your, the moment your eyes are open for the day. Yeah, I, I loved we um, uh, last in March, we went on the we were in New Zealand, we went on the Milford track and you basically have no phone reception, no Internet. It was so nice because you just <laughs> after like after half an hour, you just forget about it the rest of the the world that's going on online and you just you're so in the moment and you enjoy yourself so much and you connect with people it's like oh I should do that more often just take a break from from the internet yes do you ever um I do so I actually I, I mean not like I won't take I don't typically take like a whole day um because I have a lot of online coaching clients but I I actually got rid of my phone plan um, on all my data plan, <laughs> um, about a year ago now. So when I'm at home, I have access to the internet, but when I'm out, I never check my phone or the internet or email. Um, I don't even have texting, which drives my friends crazy. They're like, how can we contact you? I'm like, well, just don't change your plans. Just, <laughs> <laughs> meet when we arranged. <laughs> yeah. Stick to your word. Yeah. So, what led, because that feels like I'm hearing it, and, you know, I'm pretty good about putting my phone away, but even hearing that, it, it like, sent a shudder through me. Like, 
what led to you making that decision? Well, I think a big part of it. So my, my wife doesn't have a phone, like a mobile phone. She has this emergency one that's in the car um, that is never turned on. But she doesn't have a phone, so I can never text or call her. And it drives her crazy if we're out and all our friends are sitting on their phones. And so when I do it, it drives her even more crazy. <laughs> and so I just realized it just started to annoy me as well. Like I was like, why am I – I don't care about what emails I'm getting. Why am I checking my phone in the middle of like where I why am I why am I checking my Instagram? And so yeah, I just I got rid of it and it and first like the first day was uncomfortable. I was like, "Oh, I really want to know if anyone's commented on my Instagram." Um and then, you know, then you just forget it. You forget that you ever had it. I think it's it's very easy. Wow. So that was actually a, like a really quick weaning process. Like the the first it it sounds like a cleanse in a way where it's like the first day or so is usually the first 48 hours is usually the rottenest but right and then then it just it felt good so. wow that is impressive and you said it's been about a year now yeah and though when we were in we were in Australia for and in New Zealand for 3 months and because there the plans that the page you go plans all had data. So I had data again and it started to really annoy me. I was like, I wish I didn't have this data here. <laughs> uh, and so when I got back, I was like, Oh, I'm so glad I don't have it anymore. <laughs> so for you, it was like an impulse control thing. I was like, Oh no, I just don't even need this temptation. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That is yeah. so cool. Thank you for sharing that. That was such an unexpected part of our conversation, but I love it. Cause I, I think we need reminders from from other women that you can step away from your phone, you can step away from technology, even as someone who's a programmer and a science background, like you can get away from this and you will live to tell about it. Because right. <laughs> unless I'm wrong, you don't seem like a vampire or a zombie. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'll get there. <laughs> And Kirsty, you mentioned that you get up and get your workouts done in the morning. Are you a really early riser? Yeah, so I've always I've always gotten up early, but since um, since we got cats, well kittens, um, we de- we get up even earlier. <laughs> um, so they're typically at like five a.m. They start, you know wanting food and crawling all over us. So yeah, it's definitely gotten a little bit earlier, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a morning person. So for me, that's, that's fine. So then the other question is, cause I think we, we probably share a, a demographic of clients or, or there is at least a good amount of overlap there. And one of the things that comes up in, in sessions a lot are my high achieving type A women are trying to burn the candle at both ends. So they're trying to be like morning people and night owls. So I guess, would you mind sharing a little bit about what your evening routine looks like and like bedtime, that kind of thing? Yeah, my, I actually am, I don't really have a great evening routine. And I typically find that if I just come home and I, I mostly work from home, but if I just in the evening just stay home, I'll, I won't do a lot. I'll do a little bit of stretching, might watch a bit of Netflix, and I typically go to bed early because I'm tired. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it's not so much a routine, but I do find if I go out, 
um, if I do, cause I teach a couple of nights a week, if I go out and teaching, then, then I'm good. I'm, I'm awake and I can do that. So that's something I definitely would like to do more of, uh, which is doing things in the evening. I really want to take a dance class, but I ha- just, uh, I haven't gotten around to finding one that fits my schedule yet. So yeah, I, I, my evening routine probably needs a bit more, a bit more work, but yeah, I go to bed early. Just, I'm, I, I'm just not very good at staying up. <laughs> Even my mom, when I go home, my mom's like, really? You're going to, it's 930. You're going to bed. <laughs> you like are that. a busy, you are a busy woman during the day. Like <laughs> most women, I mean, not most, but I think a lot of women aren't probably putting in like a solid 90 minute workout. I mean, I imagine your workouts, any strength building workout seems like it's, a, it's a toll on the body. Yeah, and I go through like I have I have different phases of my workout where I'm focusing more on more on strength or more on skill works or more on on increasing my my flexibility. So, you know, it cycles. There are times when I'm really pushing hard and I definitely feeling it on my body. I started I just started a new program beginning of this week and my oh, I, my shoulders are like oh, I was like I didn't know I had those muscles. <laughs> um but yeah, normally I I recover I recover fairly well, um, and I one thing I've learned is in the last few years I used to train six six days a week, like no quest, no matter what, and I've really discovered the last couple of years that I my body does so much better on four days a week, and I'm, there's still part of my head that hates that. I'm like I really want to train six days because that's more hardcore, um, but I just know my <laughs> I progress so much faster and I get stronger if I if I take that time to recover. So. Um, yeah, I have to accept it. <laughs> I think you're raising a really interesting point because one of the things I hear from my clients, especially, is they're usually coming to me when they're pretty burnt out. And sometimes that's physical burnout, and sometimes that's mental emotional burnout, and sometimes it's the combination of the two. But it's so funny when I talk about fitness with them. So I always sort of ask, you know, in the initial intake, in the initial session, what are you doing for workouts? And, you know, some of my clients are like, you know, they're just struggling to even get moving again. They're exhausted. And others are like, well, I, you know, if I don't run six days a week or more, (laughs) you know, there's something wrong. And then when I start asking questions, it is revealed that like, you know, their their definition of a run or a workout, especially if they're a runner, might be like, well, I, I run six to nine miles a day, six days a week. <laughs> and I'm like, no wonder you're, you know, no wonder you're spent. How did you, how did you come to this lesson? Um, yeah, so, so a few years ago, I started working with a coach and every week I would, you know, just send the weekly review of how my week went. You know, like, oh, I was feeling really strong this week and I was, or this exercise was really hard or, you know, I just didn't feel I made much progress. Just very basic how I felt the workouts went that week. And I started to notice a pattern between the weeks where I was like, I was like, oh, yeah, I only did four workouts this week. And I'm like, but they were all really good. (laughs) And then I'd be like, well, I did six workouts this week, but I was so tired. And so I just started that even very basic, like it was two or three sentences a week that I was sending just kind of made me realize, wait, I actually work better only doing four sessions a week versus doing six sessions of strength a week. And, 
it, it was definitely hard to say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with that because, you know, there's, there's still part of my brain that's like more training better. Um, <laughs> and, but yeah, no, it's definitely, it's helped, it's really helped me and, and it's helped me in my time outside of the gym cause I'm not, not as tired. Um, just have more time to do these other things, you know, like, um, experiment with, with some dance stuff or some more different mobility work. Um, so yeah, it was really just that little amount of, um, reflection, I guess, at the end of my week, just seeing how my workouts went and that, you know, just kind of clicked in my head. Oh, wait, this is, this is why some weeks are better than others. And as a fellow mistress of data collection, like, <laughs> it's interesting to me that like it just sort of emerged from that data. Like it, it seems like a really like unconventional approach to sort of collecting it, but you were able to very quickly see like, oh, look at this pattern just in this simple diary that I've been keeping. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it didn't, yeah, I didn't need like, like strict numbers or I have done that in the past, keeping very strict spreadsheet numbers of my progress. Um, but yeah, it was just more of that reflection on how I felt, uh, which I think is, is so important. Very cool. Very cool. And how did, because you, you sort of touched on this, I imagine there is an inner gymnast that is used to training 20 to 30 hours a week inside of you that's like more, better, faster, stronger. You know, those voices are what I collectively sort of call the itty-bitty shitty committee. <laughs> right. <laughs> How do you keep that voice or the other voices that are saying more, more, more at bay? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a tough question. Um, because even as a gymnast, uh, that was always one of the things my coach would say to me was, I would never take a day off. And he'd be like, Christy, you need to you need to rest today. Um, and it would always have to, it would always be like forced to, to take a day off training. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely hard for me. Um, it's gotten easier, I would say, um, as, as I've gotten older, I think a big part of it is I just feel so good with what I'm doing and I feel stronger than, than I felt even as a teenager. It's so amazing to me that, that certain things that I do now, you know, I can do more freestanding handstand pushups and press to handstands than I could do at like, the peak of my competitive gymnastics career. And yeah, there's a ton of stuff I can't do. Um, but just how strong I feel is just a great reminder that, okay, I don't need to, to be crazy, um, to do more. Um, what I'm doing is working for me and making progress. I'm getting stronger. Um, and I'm feeling great. Um, so it's just that reminder, I think. Awesome. And I, I love hearing a woman say like how strong and how great she feels. That's, <laughs> it's in my world, it's it's more the exception than the norm. So. <laughs> and I, I want to ask you, do you mind if we talk about the injury? When you oh, were, not at all. Not at all. Because, you know, you were saying your coach was like, I, take a break, go take a break and sort of forcing you to do it. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what happened and how that plays into sort of, or how you dealt with having that forced break thrust upon you? Yeah, it, it was, um, 
So I was 19, and I was training for the Commonwealth Games, and just mistimed a movement on the bar, like by like a fraction of a second, and fell and broke my elbow. Yeah, ended up going to going to the hospital, and the surgeon basically he was he was very like flippant about it. He was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. Just don't do handstands anymore." Oh. <laughs> I was just like, I was just like <laughs> devastated. Um, and it wasn't just the not being able to do gymnastics because, I mean, that was, that was like 30 hours a week of my life at that point. And so it was a huge gap. But it was also so much of who I was was kind of wrapped up in, in gymnastics. Like I was Christy the gymna- gymnast. And so it took me a long time, probably way too long, to really get over that because I went through a phase of like, well, if it's not gymnastics, it's not good enough and I'm not doing it. Um, <laughs> And it was hard to kind of get past that, but it was just very slowly over time. I was just like, yeah, okay, I'll try that. And I would do something. And it wouldn't be, I didn't have the same passion for it, but it would be like, okay, that was fun. And then I tried more stuff. I went, you know, traveling with my younger sister in the US and we just, you know, met a whole bunch of other people who were traveling and just tried lots of new things. And then later I went to, New Zealand, my older sister lived there at the time, and I learned to surf and went hiking. And I just realized, you know, slowly over over time that, okay, maybe I wasn't going to do gymnastics again. And maybe all these other things that I was doing were never going to have, I was never going to have that same obsession and passion with um, as I did gymnastics. But I could have a lot of fun. And I could do these things and get better at them and enjoy them. And so, yeah, it became more like, okay, I'm not Christy the gymnast or Christy the ex-gymnast, but I'm just like someone who really loves to to move and do all these different activities and someone who also likes to, you know, hang out with friends at the pub and play pool and go to music festivals and all these things, you know, were became a part of who I was. And it was, it was, it took a while, but definitely it was just taking that small step. Okay, anything is better than sitting on the sofa and feeling sorry for myself. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to take a small step. And, and then slowly, yeah, I just started finding more things that I loved and then got back into, into handstands and bodyweight training and just became obsessed once again. So I imagine early on in that moment, like, you know, I just kind of picture you, I don't know if you're an ice cream eater, but sort of like this visual image that comes to mind, you're like, sad Kirsty on the couch eating ice cream. That is pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe there is a lot more beer involved, who knows. I imagine there was also, like, there was this physical piece where you were like, okay, like, can hiking, can surfing, can doing these other things fulfill that physical need? But I imagine... Like, were you ostracized from the community of gymnasts? Like, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, that was a big thing because a lot of my friends that I would see all the time were from the gym. And I started coaching very soon after, you know, a few months after the break. So all the all the people that I had trained with locally, I would still see. So I was part of the Scottish national team. And a lot of my best friends at the time were also part of that team. And so just not seeing them anymore. And it wasn't, it wasn't that we weren't friends or they didn't want to talk to me anymore. It was just we didn't get to train, you know, together every, like every couple of weeks. You know, we used to have training sessions where we would go away for the weekend and we'd all, you know, stay in the same place and train together all day. And 
and you just get very close with those people. And so, yeah, it was, that was hard because like all my friends were part of that community. Well, a lot of my friends were part of that community. Got it. And what do you think helped you take those initial steps? Like, what do you think helped change your perspective on things? <laughs> yeah, 20 years ago. Um, no, I think I think a big part was just um, being really fed up of, of not doing stuff and feeling sorry for myself. Like, it just got to the point where I was like, okay, this is, you've done this for a while. <laughs> like, the, the, the pity, even pity parties have to come to an end at some point, right? Yeah, and so... <laughs> I think I think especially my trip to New Zealand um, really changed my perspective on life because I was really there for six months just hanging out, having fun. And uh, just, yeah, that whole experience was everything was outside my comfort zone and everything I was like was new. And it was just like, okay, this is uncomfortable, but it's fine. And I think sometimes putting yourself in a situation that you're not used to, it's way easier to get outside your comfort zone and do things because you don't really have a choice. Um, whereas at home, it was very easy. I could just stay home. I was in New Zealand. I was like, I have to do stuff. I'm in New Zealand. And so you do it. You put yourself out there. You go and talk to people. And, and it's fine that you don't know anyone there um, because you've just got there and you're traveling and so, yeah, I just built up so much confidence um, traveling. And so I recommend, I think everyone should should go traveling around the world before they actually get a job because it's so amazing for, for just learning things and building confidence and figuring out, you know, what you like to do. That's a great point. And it was funny. I was just going to ask you the question, was that when you were still at university or was that like, did you just get so fed up that you had to carve some time out to like change up the scenery so that was after my undergrad so before my phd and so i went there for six months um, my sister lived there and i i just went and originally i was just going to go for a short vacation and ended up staying as long as i possibly could so <laughs> that sounds fantastic yeah it was it was great and kirsty you mentioned i mean we've talked about all sorts of things and i know we're sort of circling around but one thing I want to come back to, especially because you've re been so resilient after such an injury and a, and a change in identity and a change in plans. You know, for women listening who are in some sort of period of transition or are faced with something that life has, you know, nailed them with, basically – and are forced to take a different plan of action, what advice would you have for them? It's a good question. It's very easy to get kind of caught up on the fact of what you can't do. And I, I was like that with my elbow for so long, like, oh, I can't do all these things. I can't do that. And I can't do this. And I think a big change for me was then it was like, well, what can I do with it? You know, rather than looking at the negative of the things that I couldn't do, thinking about, okay, what things can I do? And it's been a very interesting, that, that part, you know, the actual physical part of how can I actually do a handstand on this arm uh, when I was told I, I should never do that again has been very interesting. So looking at, you know, speaking to people and figuring out what things can I do to 
protect my elbow? What things, how can I move it in ways and load it in ways that it's not going to hurt it? So I think that that side of it, focusing more on the things that you can do than the things that you can't is a big thing. That's great advice. That's really fantastic advice. And Kirsty, one thing that you just said really stuck out to me, and it dovetails with a, a piece of my health history, especially dealing with medical professionals and doctors. When your doctor told you you're never going to be able to do a handstand again, what was that journey like from sort of accepting that to be a truth to kind of moving to a place of, I'm going to test that a little bit? Or maybe you thought it was bullshit. I don't know. (laughs) Where were you on the continuum, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I I kind of bought into it. I never, I wouldn't say I was ever very strict about doing nothing on my arm. Like, I would always play with handstands a little bit, but I never trained them. You know, I I would always, if someone was doing handstands, I would would do a handstand. Um, I did do a little bit of diving, and so that has some moves where you you are on your hands. So I was never completely like compliant with his don't do handstands anymore. But I did think that that actually training handstands was probably not a good idea for me. I started doing it because so we bought our house and converted the the garage into a gym. And it was all just body weight stuff. And so I could do pull ups and push ups. But I really wanted to do some hand balancing because I'd seen people online doing this cool stuff. And so I wanted to explore it. And I started very, very simply, like just doing basic handstands, feeling, testing it out. And then I, I really kind of went to finding people who were experts on this stuff. Um, and not specifically handstands, but who were experts on, on how joints work and how you can train them and load them and strengthen them. Because I did notice that the stronger I got, the less pain I would have in my arm. Um, and so... I knew that there was ways, things that I could do, and it was just finding the right people. And so that kind of led me to meet some very amazing people. Um, So, yeah, one of them, like Sarah from Agatsu, they're a kettlebell company. Um, But she was one of the first people who really helped me uh, with, you know, addressing my elbow and the restrictions it had and, and how I could, I really needed to strengthen my shoulder um, and my wrist in order to protect the elbow and things that I could do there. Um, and just kind of coming up with, with ways that I could train it. So it was really just, um, finding the right people and then just continuing to, um, to figure things out. And, and I think the biggest thing for me is, is not just pushing through everything and being like, well, I'm going to do handstands no matter what. I did actually do that for a little while and ended up really hurting my shoulder as part of it. I was like, I'm going to train one arms on my right arm. Um, and yeah, that wasn't a good idea. So right now it's all about being very mindful in my training. And because most of my injuries, apart from breaking my elbow have been, I've been doing stuff where I'm like, Oh, this doesn't feel quite right, but you know, <laughs> I have to get my work in and I've got to get these 10 reps or I really want to get this movement. If I just do a few more, it doesn't matter that it's, you know, tweaking my shoulder. And so a lot of my injuries I've gotten and I'm like, yeah, I could see that coming. You know, nothing was like, (laughs) how did that happen? Um, And so, so a big thing for me with the elbow is just being very cautious. If I, if I start feeling something, I'm like, oh, that doesn't feel quite right. And then figuring out um, often with help from other people, what can I do to not feel pain in that position? Um, And so, yeah, that mindfulness 
has been huge for me. I'm laughing because I'm, I know like that, that was my MO for a long time. Like I'm going to run this distance and I'm going to run this pace and this is what this race is going to look like. And I would track it in a spreadsheet and it didn't matter if there was a thunderstorm and lightning. It was like, this was when my run was scheduled to be and really pushing. And that led to definitely some trouble like in my hips and, and some imbalance in my hips and you know, that was right around the time I was apprenticing in Pilates as well, which is great in a lot of ways, but any form of physical training, anything in life really that's too much all at once and too fast can just really take a toll on your body. And I was like, well, I, you know, I've got to keep up to this apprentice program and not listening to my body because I had this, my brain had this agenda, but my body had a different timetable for it. And it, thankfully for me, it never led to anything really serious that took me out of the game. But I definitely had like some nagging, nagging, like piriformis pain for a long time. And I was like, yeah, this is my own doing. Now I've got to undo it and undo it slowly. (laughs) Yeah, I think so often we we think, you know, oh, I just, this injury just happened. But when you really kind of look back, it's like, well, no, my hips didn't quite feel right in that position for quite a while or my shoulder was not feeling great and it's yeah definitely it's been huge change for me over the last few years just being like looking at things from much earlier as soon as something is like oh that that doesn't feel right why is that and not just saying okay I'm not doing that but figuring out what I'm doing that's causing that pain it's been a huge change for me. And I imagine working around it where it's like, oh, okay, this is the overdevelopment of this muscle. So maybe if I bring some balance by working the other muscles that support it and work in tandem with it, then I can bring this back to a really functional place, right? Yeah, I think a lot of injuries within people who train a lot of body weight stuff is because you spend so much time building strength in like a hollow body position. So that more handstand position where your your back's a little bit rounded. Um, and we kind of forget to strengthen the opposite position. Um, so, you know, pulling the shoulders back in more of a, an arch position. And so for me, a big change has also been making sure I, I do that work um, to strengthen the opposite position because it's, it's very important to, to keep that balance. Yes. And you mentioned that's a, a common perception what are some of the other common perceptions, especially that women have, about the strength and body weight training that you're doing and the work that you're doing? I think for a lot of women, they they think that the body weight training is just for the you know the petite, strong, gymnastic type people, and that's not them. Um, they need to get stronger if they want to do this kind of stuff, or they they have to you know have to lose weight if they want to do body weight training. And none of that stuff is true at all. Body weight training is really not about, you know, doing fixed exercises or, um, you know, being able to do tricks or necessarily doing handstands. It's really just about anything you can do to get stronger using the weight of your body. Um, and it's very interesting in my classes because the women who can do the most pull-ups are not the women who are the smallest or the lightest. It's the women who are the strongest. And so it's very interesting, you know, in the class perspective because people can see everyone else. And so they can see that that 
So we have this very nice feeling in the class where people don't have this feeling where, oh, if I want to get my pull-ups, I have to get thinner or I have to lose weight. People see it, oh, if I want to get my pull-ups, I have to train these movements and get stronger. And so I think that's a, a common misconception. And also the fact that it's, you have to do the tricks. You have to do handstands or you have to do muscle-ups. And I don't think anyone has to do those movements. But an interesting thing is when people start, you know, when women actually get a, their first pull-up, um, you know, they come in, they come into the gym the first time and they're like, oh, no, no, I, I'll never do pull-ups. And you get them that first pull-up. Then all of a sudden they realize the possibilities and they start seeing what their body's capable of. And then they'll come to you a few months later and they'll be like, oh, well, maybe I want to learn a muscle-up. Maybe that's my next goal. <laughs> and it's so cool because it's like a few months before they were like, oh, I'll never do a pull-up. And then all of a sudden they, they know that these other movements are in, in their, their reach. And that's, that's really cool. That's really awesome to hear. Like, I imagine it's so inspiring for you to see that and be able to witness their journey. Yeah, and it's, sometimes it's in really short amount of time. Like, I have this woman, Agnes, who comes to a lot of my classes, and she's a woman in her 60s and just decided later in life she wants to do some gymnastics. She comes to both my strength classes and my actual gymnastics classes where we go in and train on the, the equipment. And it's amazing just to see her learn things. And she gets so excited. Like, something as simple as, like, a seat drop on the trampoline. She's like, she watches us do it. She's like, no, I can't do that. And so we break it down. Um, you know, so it's basically standing up, you're jumping, you're sitting down and standing back up again. And to her, this is like a huge accomplishment, like showing her how she can do this movement and breaking it down and her getting it. And, and then it's impossible to get her off the trampoline because <laughs> she's just doing seat drop out and this huge grin on her face. And, um, and that, yeah, that's what, that's my favorite part of, of coaching is, is giving people the confidence that, that they can do these things and achieve these movements. And have you always had that confidence or is that something that had to grow in you? I think one of the side effects, I mean, movement wise, yes. Cause I think one of the side effects of gymnastics is that you grow up kind of believing you can do anything. Um, because you go through so many times the process of, I can't do that skill. And then your coach is like, you're going to learn that. And you're like, okay, you start learning it. And then a few months later, you can do that skill. And you just go through that hundreds and hundreds of times with different movements that you kind of get to a point where, okay, if I break that skill down, if I figure out what I need to work on, what I'm missing, if I work on those things and work hard enough, then I can get that skill. Um, so it's really a process. Um, and, but the belief, the belief that you can do it changes everything. Um, like a lot of people, it's, it's their mindset is holding them back so much because they don't believe they can do a particular movement or they just think, yeah, no, I'll never get that. And as soon as you can change that, if you can figure out like ways that you can convince them and show them that they're capable of doing a movement, it changes everything because they'll get it straight away. I mean, a big one for me was when if someone else that I was training with did a movement that I was like, well, I, I'll never do that. And they suddenly got it. I'd be like, whoa, well, I can do that then. And I all, all of a sudden start trying harder at it. And I'm believing I could do it, which is uh, the tr same is true in my classes. One person gets a pull up and then all the other people who are close to a pull up suddenly get it because there becomes that belief that they can do it. And they witnessed it. 
right? Like it's yes, it's right. not just some person you see in a YouTube video. It's not some person you read about in a book that could do this what seems like a crazy feat of human endurance or strength. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like in your backyard. It's happening right in front of you. Exactly. And here's a here's a different question because I know I know fitness comes up as as a piece of my work, right? Like I'm, I'm looking at food, I'm looking at time management, I'm looking at stress and, and how they're responding to things in their lifestyle. But when it comes to fitness, one of the things I'm curious about, cause I work out at home um, and I've built myself a, a home studio to, to do Pilates and yoga. And I do a lot of hit training and things like that. What are common misconceptions people have about working out at home versus in a gym? I think in terms of misconceptions, I think that the mistakes that people make when they're like, well, I'm going to work out at home is that they just suddenly decide that they're going to work out in the middle of their living room (laughs) and all the stuff that they normally do in their living room is still there. You know, their TV is there or their magazine that they're reading is there. You just get too distracted. It's very hard to focus. And so I think one of the biggest things is to make sure you have like a dedicated area, even if it's just a corner of a room. If you don't have like a full garage or room that you can kind of make into a studio, just having an area where this is my training area and having some things in there that are like, these are my training things, even if it's a poster or a yoga mat, because I think that's the hardest thing. Like I've been in, um, in hotels where I'm like, I'll just work out in the room because I don't want to go down to the gym. And I'm so distracted by the fact that my computer is sitting there on the desk in the room (laughs) or that the TV is there, um, that I just find it so hard to do the workout. And so for me, I need, I need something that signifies this is a workout area. So here I am, I'm really lucky to have my garage gym. Um, but yeah, just, just devoting a space I think is really important. That's great advice. Thank you for that. I knew you would have an opinion on that and some (laughs) useful information. And I also know that you you have a lot in your day and you're juggling a lot of things. So I don't want to monopolize all your time. But I did want to ask you some questions. And these, I like to call these the champagne questions because I like to ask every guest. And because this is a show for women, by women, and with women talking, <laughs> I wanted to ask you some questions about being a modern woman. And I think the most important place to start before asking you the next couple of questions is how do you define being a modern woman? Um, I think I'm really lucky here because I have a lot of really great role models in my friends in terms of what constitutes being like a really strong modern woman. And the interesting thing is each one of them has a different thing, a different path. And I think that's a big part of it. It's not necessarily about, okay, I have to do all the housework and I have to have a job that I work and I have to take care of the family and I have to, you know, be exercising and doing my hair and makeup. Um, You don't have to be doing any of these things. I think a modern woman is, it's about choosing, choosing your path and choosing what you want to do and what you want to be really good at. Because I have some friends, actually my older sister is thing that she wants to be doing right now in her life is being, you know, being a mother. You know, she has two young kids and, and looking after them and all these things that she does with them is, is what she really wants to be doing right now in her life. 
Um, and eventually she'll go back working, but right now that's what she wants to do. And I have other friends who are so highly successful in their jobs and that just gives them so much confidence and joy and happiness. And other people who, you know, their job is, is what they do for money, but what they really love is the stuff they do outside of it. So, you know, they might volunteer at, at some organization or they might go out and take pictures and it's just people having the choice of what you want to do with your life and what you want to focus on and, and be good at and, and how you want to kind of show up in the world, I think. Great. Thank you for setting that context. And from that place, what would you like to see modern women give more of a shit about? Um, I think giving more of a shit about acknowledging their successes um, and letting people know their achievements and, and being proud of those and not feeling like you're bragging if you're telling people the things that you've done that you're proud of. Like I had a friend who got this huge promotion, like amazing. And we went through an entire dinner and she didn't mention it once. And then afterwards someone was like, oh, did you know she got this? And we're like, what? Women don't share their successes in the same way. Um, I want to say that guys do. because it's. But, you know, I would like to see people just being proud of their accomplishments more um, and acknowledging them and, and letting people know. Because it's not, it's not bragging, it's just sharing, sharing what you're proud of about yourself. Yes, yes. And one of the things I try to do in sessions with clients is, or at least in their, their update before we, we have our sessions, is ask them, you know, what's been successful for them? Like, what's worked? What hasn't? Like, I want to hear what's going really well for them. But more importantly, I want them to sort of come up with it in their own words. So like I literally, as part of their prep work for a session, like make them write about like what they want to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I had um, recently, I had one student, um, she sent me her end of the week video and stuff. And she's like, it was just a terrible week. Um, I was, everything was rubbish. Sorry, ignore this part of the video because it wasn't good enough. And so I just responded. I'm like, please send me three things that went really well this week. <laughs> and she was, and you know, that process of her having to think about, okay, what went, she's like, okay, I actually, you know, felt better in this movement than I did last week. And I completed all the workouts and, you know, was, you know, just basic things that she was like, okay, it wasn't, wasn't a complete disaster week. And having people focus more on, on the things that went well rather than like, oh, I didn't get that outcome that I wanted. I didn't get my pull up this week and I was really wanting it. I was like, well, you don't, you don't get to choose when that happens. You choose the work. <laughs> you choose what you put in and, and I don't know, some, someone else will decide when, when that pull up happens. Well, it's funny as I'm listening, I'm, I'm sort of laughing because, you know, I think in my 30s and after we talked about like really being someone that pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and to what end, mm -hmm. you know, I think being attached to assumptions or being attached to outcomes is something I've really kind of dug into and fleshed, a, fleshed out more for myself. And I think it's, it's interesting when you see that come up and, and what you're describing, like she was so locked in with the outcome that she wanted to put in the update at the end of the week that like <laughs> right. she forgot, like, here's all the other things that I made progress on. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. And it's, it's about defining what is progress and, uh, and it's not just that that end goal. Um, it can be a lot of things. Yes. 
Yeah. I mean, the situation you described, it makes me think like how much energy and focus and attention are women spending on beating themselves up over this like self-imposed outcome. And it's like, do we need to be spending, you know, our precious vital reserve of energy on that kind of like, let's be honest, bullshit. (laughs) Exactly. And I think, I think as well, just on, you know, comparing yourself to other people and your progress to other people's progress. Cause I see that a lot, especially in my group coaching people are like, well, I made the worst progress this week or other people got this movement and I didn't. And it's not really how handstands and, and life, I guess, works. Like everyone doesn't have exactly the same path and journey to a movement. Um, and some people are fast at one part and slow at another part or just slower in general. But then once you have it, it's the most beautiful handstand in the world. Um, and so it's just you just have to accept that it's your journey and, and you don't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Amazing. And Christy, I want to hand over the mic to you. And I know we've talked about so many things. We've talked about resilience. We've talked about recovery both in terms of workouts and in bigger bigger sort of ways we've talked about coaching we've we've talked about physical stuff there's so many things that we talked about but to this tribe of imposters and perfectionists and frazzled type a ladies that are listening to this show what do you most want them to know i think what i really want people to know is that that body weight training doesn't need to be this really intimidating thing um, because we all have this image when we think of bodyweight training of, of, you know, the Olympic gymnast or, you know, the street workout guys in the park doing like hundreds of pull-ups and it's really not what it's about. You know, it's really just about moving and having fun and getting a little bit stronger, a little bit more mobile and feeling better um, in your own body, feeling, having more confidence that you can move in certain ways, feeling freer, feeling more capable of things. And it doesn't have to be intimidating. And in terms of getting started, all I would recommend is, you know, finding a couple of people online that, that you, um, that you trust. So you can either check out my Instagram or GMB Fitness's Instagram and just starting with the basics. So basic pull-ups, basic push-ups, Um, if you don't have a pull-up bar, that's fine, but you know, basic body weight squats and just really focusing on, on how those movements feel and how you're performing them. And it's really important starting out is filming yourself doing some of these movements and it'll feel uncomfortable at first, but it's just building that awareness of what you're actually doing versus what it feels like you're doing. Cause that's one of the big keys to body weight training is just being very aware of what your body's doing. And so, yeah, that, that's the main thing. Just, just start. Just do some body weight training. Yes. And, I mean, I can speak to the GMB, I think it's Elements. Elements, yes. I mean, I've been going through it really slow, and a move has definitely sidetracked me. But it is profoundly interesting to just get a tour of, like, how your body moves in these ways that are, for me, totally different than yoga, totally different than Pilates, totally different. I mean, it's completely different animal from running. Right. But it's really amazing just getting reacclimated with my body in a different way. Like, how does the right move different from the left? And 
why do I feel like my heel in this one and not, you know, there's so many things and it, you know, as a perfectionist and for any perfectionist listening, it could make you go crazy, but trying to approach it from a place of just curiosity, like, wow, what is my body doing in this crazy move that, that, that they're asking me to do? Or, wow, why does just this warm up feel different in this shoulder versus this shoulder? It's mm-hmm. It's been a fascinating journey. So really, check out what, what Kirsty's doing. Check out GMB. It's stuff that you can do at home. The elements, you really don't even need any equipment. It's really a, a fascinating journey. And I, I think what you're doing is so damn cool out in the world. And I, I wish you all the best success. And I hope a lot of women listening find you and find your work. Oh, thank you so much. And, mm. and what's the best way for women who are listening, who are interested in connecting with you, get to you? Because we know it's not by text message. Um, I would say Instagram is probably where I am most frequently, where I'm most active. Um, I do have also have a website. I'm also on Facebook. It's all Garage Gym Girl. And I'll make sure everyone has the links too. I'll post them in the show notes so it's easy for everyone to click through. Yeah, but Instagram is really the best place to find pretty much everything that I'm doing. Um, And then, yeah, I'll... If, if there's something going on on my website, it'll be posted on my Instagram. So that's the kind of the best place to, to, to check me out. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here and really sharing your journey and everything that you're doing and how you do it on a daily basis. This has been nothing but informative. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Awesome. Have an awesome day. Okay. You too. Thank you. This is Kara again. Thank you so much for tuning in. All of today's show notes can be found at levitalcoresalon.com. So L-E-V-I-T-A-L-C-O-R-P-S-S-A-L-O-N.com. If you dug today's show or past episode, please support this podcast by going to iTunes and rating and reviewing. It's super helpful to a brand new podcast like me, and I'd be greatly appreciative for your help. And new shows, just so you know, will be up on the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month. Before I bounce, I want to give a big merci beaucoup to my producer, Craig Snyder, and Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone for writing and the high dials for performing my most excellent theme song. And don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let burnout or bullshit slow you down. See you next time.